Well, this summer we are focusing on individuals who met Jesus. And when we take time to read through the gospels, we see that Jesus encounters all sorts of people, rich and poor, good and bad, healthy and sick. Whenever people met Jesus, their lives were changed. And today we're going to look at an encounter in the gospel of John. So if you want to open up your Bibles to the chapter five of um, the book of John, you can do that now. We're going to look at the gospel of John where Jesus met a man that was sick and stuck for a very long time. We will see that even though Jesus took initiative in going to this man to help, the process of change was quite complicated. He was stuck in a very difficult situation. And so I hope we will meet Jesus today as well and learn from this story. Because Jesus can speak to us today through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit alive in us. He can change us and move us in the right direction. We just need to have hearts open. So let's get into the story. After this, there was the festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Bethzatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Before I read on, I want to stop and give you some background on this, this setting because it's important not to miss the context that Jesus was in. The story takes place in Jerusalem, which is the center of religious life in the first century, at the Pool of Bethzatha, sometimes translated House of Mercy. This was not a swimming pool used for cooling off on a hot day, but a place where people went in hopes of healing. The picture that you see here is an excavation of the site, and there were many buildings built over it over time, on top of it and around the pools. These pools had quite a history. Since 300 years before Christ, the Greeks had created a cult around the pagan god of healing, Asclepius. It's a mouthful. The Greeks built Asclepions, or ancient healing centers, all across the Greek empire. And they were built next to pools connected to natural springs because they believed that, that the pagan gods or the spirits would be drawn to these places. And the Greeks believed that these beings would stir the waters as a sign that a healing miracle was going to happen. And so as you can imagine, the pools were filled with ill and disabled people. They would congregate here. They would drink and bathe and sleep in the walls of these pools um, in hopes that when the waters were stirred, they would be the first person in the pool to be healed. And it was just a common belief throughout the Greco-Roman world that certain water had the power to heal. And this pool in our story carried that superstition um, of this original pagan religion, even though it was actually quite close to the Jewish temple. So John mentions Jesus going in Jerusalem, and this is the first stop that he goes to. He doesn't go where any, anywhere else. He doesn't go to the temple first. He goes right to this pool. And I think part of the reason Jesus went there was to confront the myth and, and help us gain a new understanding of where real healing takes place. So I want you to imagine the scene around the pool, hurting people, the sounds maybe of pain, the smell of sickness, a lack of hygiene. In a time where hospitals and pharmacies did not exist, People had only to rely on the kindness of friends and family or home remedies to ease their pain. 
And so even if it wasn't effective, this pool offered some bit of hope. And it may seem like a strange superstition to us, but I wonder if there are any places that we put our false hope. Are there any pools that we hope will heal us? Maybe we put our hope in having a certain amount of income or that certain candidate or political party or a perfect persona online or getting into that prestigious school or finally finding that someone special or belonging to that perfect church that isn't too conservative or too progressive and has the best band. (laughs) Our story focuses in on a man who had been ill for 38 years. Let that sink in for a second. Some of you have not even been alive 38 years. It's a long time being stuck and waiting for a miracle, almost four decades. That means if it were today, he would have been stuck since 1983. What were you doing in 1983? I was uh, dancing around my living room in the fifth grade with leg warmers to Mr. Roboto and Michael Jackson's Thriller album. Was anyone else doing that? Yeah. All right. Don't, don't add up how old I am by figuring that out. All right. It was a really good year, though, right? But 38 years is a really, really long time to be stuck sick and to be putting hope in this pool to heal him. It's also a bit puzzling, if you think about it, how the man stayed alive for so long. You might not know this, but people in the first century only lived to be about 35 years old. Their life was a lot shorter than we have today because of no hospitals and, and no pharmacies and things like that. So it leaves you wondering if there's more to this story. He must have had, this man here, must have had a lot of help or a lot of agency to be able to move around and to live that long. We aren't told what sickness he has, but John uses the Greek word asthenii, and asthenii is used very broadly in the New Testament to refer to any ailment or sickness that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing the things that they want to do. It also expresses this terribleness you feel when you become really overly dependent on help. Asthenii is often translated into the English word invalid, which is a horrible way of saying a person is invalid and has no worth. This ill man in the pool would have been considered having no worth, nothing to offer society, and incredibly desperate. And sadly, in our own country, we've used this word to discriminate and to dismiss people with disabilities. I wonder if you stop for a moment and think about your own life, if you can relate at all to this man. Is there something you have been stuck suffering with for a long time? Is there something in your life you wish would change or be healed? Maybe you have a chronic health issue. Maybe you've been immobilized by a difficult decision or maybe a painful relationship or deep loneliness or what to do with your life. Let that come to mind right now. Now ask yourself, what strategies have you been using to cope? Are they helping you get unstuck? Have you been trying to get it to change for the better? What pool are you stuck at? We don't know much about this man's story. It doesn't say in the text. But whatever he's sick with, whether 
it's from his own choices or something that happened to him. We know he's stuck, really, really stuck. Well, Jesus must have sensed that this man needed help because he goes right to him. He goes to the pool and then right to this man. In verse six, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Jesus asks him a very poignant question. Do you want to be made well? A strange thing to ask someone who's at the pool. I mean, of course the man wants to be well, right? Why wouldn't he? It was a straightforward, direct question, but also quite invasive. It's hard to answer because it got to the heart of his desperation and it showed the absurdity of where he was. But it also put Jesus on the hook to solve his problem. Now think about your own situation. Bring to mind that thing that has you stuck. Now imagine Jesus coming to you and asking you the same question. Do you want to be made well? How would you feel if he asked you that? And how would you answer? I hope you would say a resounding yes, but sadly, this man didn't. He answers Jesus' question with a complaint. It says in verse seven, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. He was focused on the problem and one way of solving it. Even though he must have had some agency, some form of help to stay alive that long, did he really want to be made well? He couldn't even see Jesus, the real help right in front of him. But staying at the pool did serve a purpose. Complaining and blaming had become a crutch to stand on when the pool didn't come through. Now, he probably really did have an ailment, but have you ever been around someone who is a chronic complainer and blamer? They blame and complain about things that maybe they don't need to complain about. Are they fun to be around? No, <laughs> it's incredibly unpleasant. Constantly focused on the negative or on what others are doing wrong. How if only such and such would change or they would change, they'd be okay. Week after week and year after year, the same story and nothing changes. You, you know though, if they could just try something new, get out of that situation, take a step forward, things would be much better. But complaining is a lot easier, isn't it? Now, I have to say though, on a side note, sometimes people have really huge problems sometimes very real and chronic sicknesses and losses. Unjust systems keep some people in situations that are impossible to get out of. These are real issues and absolutely need to be addressed. But strange enough, I don't know if you agree with me, but often people in these truly desperate situations aren't the complainers. They're often the ones using whatever small power they have to move forward and to make change even if it's small steps. And if we're honest, it's often the people that actually have a lot of agency, a lot of choice that seem to complain the most, but do little to change. And if we're honest, we all find ourselves 
complaining from time to time, right? I know I do. The people that are closest to me know that I do. <laughs> Sometimes I am the worst complainer and I get stuck blaming because the sh in the short term, it serves a purpose. Because blame does serve a purpose. It relieves our discomfort. By letting out a little steam, complaining to that friend, it just lets out enough to just enough to make it bearable. So it's not painful enough that we actually take a step forward and do something about the situation. It also blame makes us feel superior. It's his fault or her fault, or it's the media's fault or the government's fault, not mine. Blame also focuses on others' failures. I'm in this situation because they aren't doing anything to help me. I didn't have good teachers, so I'll never be smart. I can't have a good relationship because my parents got divorced. Blame avoids responsibility. As long as it's their fault, I shouldn't have to do the work to move forward. The problem is blame also is really, really bad for us. It keeps us from maturity. Children don't actually have many choices. Grown-ups are the ones who take responsibility and make choices. And so as long as we don't take responsibility, we stay immature. Blame, though, makes us very angry, lonely, and sometimes it leads to depression. Complaining grows and grows and becomes a habit and ends up pushing others away because it's really hard to be around you. And blame keeps us stuck because blame gets us off the hook. We never have to face our responsibility in the matter. And you know, if we look honestly at our own lives, the question of do you want to be made well is oftentimes no. Because if we're honest, it's easier for us to stay where we are and to blame others than to change. So after listening to this man's complaint and blame, let's see how Jesus responds. In verse eight, it says, Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well and he took up his mat and began to walk. Isn't Jesus amazingly gracious here? He doesn't respond at all to the man's complaint. He just heals him without the pool, without water, without a big show. And he tells him to do something different. Jesus says three simple commands. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. In other words, he's telling him, you have been healed. Pick up everything because you're not coming back to this pool ever again. And now get moving. Get out of here. Walk. Can you imagine the authority of Jesus' words here? Well, the man actually listens, thankfully. He gets up. He obeys Jesus. He picks up his mat, and he walks. Imagine the change for this man. He's finally free to move about. He's finally free to leave this pool, to see his friends, to go to the temple, to work, to have purpose in life, to have a lot more agency than he did before. Can you imagine what gift that is? Can you imagine after all those years being able to be free? And by the way, it's always good to listen to Jesus and do what he says. So think about the situation you're in right now, the thing that's got you stuck. Jesus says to you, stop looking at that problem, 
that's not working. Stand up, pick up your stuff, and walk. Are you ready to listen? Are you ready to obey? Are you ready to let go and move forward? Now, it would be a great ending to this story to stop here. Most of Jesus' encounters, by the way, are very, very positive. This, unfortunately, is not one of those stories. It's a bit more complicated. The problem is this healing happened on the Sabbath in Jerusalem during a festival nonetheless. It's like those cartoons where you hear this big screeching sound, right? And they do a close-up of the person's face and they realize there's something else going on, like, uh-oh, like that. This is a terrible situation. It's interesting that John waits until after the healing's over to mention that it's on the Sabbath. Because the problem is the Sabbath was in a very, very important day. And there was a lot of rules to follow. There was 39 to be exact. The melakot, that's, that's Hebrew for the 39 categories of activities that the Jewish law prohibited on the Sabbath. Jesus was healing and the man was carrying his mat in public, both breaking the law. They were both lawbreakers, the man and Jesus. Well, at this point, Jesus had already left the pool and there was a crowd forming around the man because of this healing. And so people were wondering what had happened. And the Jewish leaders come over to the man because he was picking up his mat and carrying it. And instead of being very happy with the man that he's healed, that he's made well, they're only worried about him carrying his mat on the Sabbath. As a side note, I think a lot of religious organizations focus on keeping rules and policies than caring for people. Thankfully, the religious leaders did not get this man in trouble because the man, again, blamed the man who had healed him. He told me to carry my mat. But ironically, Jesus got away and nobody even bothered to get Jesus' name. The man didn't even learn Jesus' name, so Jesus didn't get in trouble at this point either. And so the story could also end here, right? Happy. But of course, Jesus had more things to say to this man. He's kind of like that, right? He just keeps pursuing us in all of our stuff. And so verse 14 continues. It says, Later, Jesus found the man in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Jesus desperately wanted the man to be made well. He goes out of his way to find him in the temple. And Jesus knows this man's deep brokenness and that it's leading him away from God. Jesus knows that our sin is really bad for us too. And maybe this man has been stuck because of bad choices he's made and was continuing to make. Either way, Jesus knew that continued healing for this man was going to take further cooperation on his part and with his will. And so he tells the man two things. And we can remember these as well when we return to blaming and complaining and getting stuck again. Remember what God has done for you because we know in Jesus Christ, he has done everything to save us and to heal us. So remember what God has done for you and stop sinning. Having a second chance doesn't guarantee we won't end up stuck again. And it seems Jesus leaves it up to the man moving forward if he was gonna go back to these things and getting stuck again. 
or continue moving forward. And he leaves it up to us too. We have a lot of power and agency and choice in our lives. And so the last we hear from, from this man is in verse 15 and 16. It says, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. Unfortunately, the man doesn't seem to appreciate Jesus's second initiative because he chooses to turn Jesus in. I mean, seriously, it's really hard to like this guy. I've really tried, right? We don't know what happens to him after that, but we do know what happens to Jesus. This is a catalyst to move Jesus to the cross. But we don't have to end up like this man. We can listen to Jesus and choose to walk. I want to end with just a few examples, some practical advice, maybe some situations that we find ourselves in to give you a picture of some of the choices that we do have. Because there are many, many strategies that we can try to get out of our stuckness. I mean, besides the first one, praying and asking Jesus to help you and to remind you of who you are. Because when we get stuck, we can't move forward and we cannot be useful in the world. And so Jesus desperately wants us to be healed and move forward. And so if you're stuck in a terrible job, for instance, and believe you can't leave because of the really good income, well, you can actually quit. You can. You might have a lot less for a while, but you can quit. You can trust that Jesus will provide and you can work really hard maybe on your lunch break, or you can find connections of all the people that you know, and you can find a better job. Maybe your marriage is lifeless because your spouse won't go to counseling. Well, you can go to counseling and you can own up to your own part and then take steps to heal, to ask for forgiveness, to make your marriage better, and you can choose to be more loving. Maybe you're constantly worried or anxious or angry about all the things that you can't change in the world. Well, sometimes you just need to turn off the news. You need to stop endlessly clickbaiting, right? And you can pray about one thing that you can get involved in. Maybe it is helping someone from Afghanistan or sending resources to Haiti. Maybe you feel friendless because no one talks to you at church. Well, you can walk across the room and start a conversation. You can say hi to someone new. You can join a community group. You can join a serving team and meet some people. You can ask God to show you who to reach out to. And for those watching online, if you're feeling disconnected from church, you can come back in person. You can find those small connections, maybe with the people in your neighborhood that are Christians. And I promise you will start to feel more a part of the community and connected to God. There are so many, so many examples I could give. Um, every place we find ourselves, even the most desperate situations, Jesus is waiting to help us get unstuck. It's, I'm so thankful that Jesus never leaves us and doesn't leave us in our stuckness. <laughs> he's gone all the way to the cross to set us free. And he's always here waiting to help us. 
and to listen to us even when we complain, even when we blame others. And so I pray that we remember what Jesus says here and what he's done for us and that we would stand up, take up our mats and walk. And when walking gets really hard, to remember again what he's done for us and to stop sinning and keep walking and keep walking. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love, your initiative and your power within us to keep moving forward. I pray now for each person and each specific thing that was brought to mind this morning, for the places we are stuck. I pray you'd free us from those. For the ways we are broken, heal us. For the places we mourn, comfort us. And help us stand and walk. And when we fail, I pray we'd remember again what is true about us and what you've done for us, Jesus, and your great, unmeasurable love. And I pray we would stop sinning and get back to walking. May our lives, our church, and our community be changed by us being people that listen to you and do what you say. Help us be useful in the world, God, with the gifts you've given us and not squander it. Lord, give us the strength to follow you and obey you. We love you, and I pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.